1: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carvell and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guests are brilliant authors on the influence of dark or secret money, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, an investigative journalist and New Yorker staff writer Jane Mayer, and Terry Goddard of Arizona, who just shepherded through a ban on dark money in that state. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Real Paper, ExpressVPN, and Miracle Brand in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, James, we're going to do something a little bit differently today because the subject is so important. Dark Money, the Billions of Dollars of Secret Money Poured into Influence American Politics. And our first guest is Rhode Island Senator Sheldon Whitehouse in his fourth term. His new book, Scheme, How the Right Wing Used Dark Money to Capture the Supreme Court, written with Jennifer Mueller. Senator, you write the Supreme Court is the court that dark money built,
0: secret undisclosed money. Tell us about that. Well, the first thing that they did was they set up the Federalist Society as their venue where uh, they would set up a turnstile to determine who was allowed onto the court. And Trump contributed to that when he said he was going to work off the Federalist Society list. He made that turnstile official. And then Don McGahn, his White House counsel, and Leonard Leo, and whoever else was funding this operation. It's hard to tell because the big money that came into the Federalist Society while this was going on was anonymous contributions. They basically, old school, like the railroad barons would pick who sat on the Railroad Commission. they pick judges just for that. Then you go right down the hallway, literally right down the hallway to the Judicial Crisis Network, where they got dark money checks for $15 million, $17 million coming in to pay for the ads for their nominees. And then if you want to go on, you can go look at the amici curiae who show up in little orchestrated flotillas to tell the judges what to do, never mind the money pouring into Mitch McConnell's uh, big accounts.
1: Well, uh, Leonard Leo is really the center of this, isn't he? He he has become, I guess, one of the most powerful people in the whole town.
0: Well, a billionaire dropped $1.6 billion into his little... uh, array of front groups so yeah he's got he's got a lot of scratch to play with right now and these people want something i mean it's the business community it's the
1: uh, anti it's the climate change deniers i mean they're not giving it to him because they they happen to like leonard
0: no i mean there may be an element of this that he was so essential to packing the court for them so that they could take it over that this is his reward his retirement package his big uh, golden parachute thank you um, but I think they also want to put it to use, and I'm pretty sure that $1.6 billion is going to flow into political races and into smears on Biden nominees and into judicial nominations in the future.
1: Senator, you know, I think what's so different about this court uh, is it's so partisan. There have been other controversial court decisions. Brown v. Board, mostly Democrats, but the Chief Justice Earl Warren was a Republican who worked to get a unanimous decision. In Roe v. Wade, I think I'm right, six Republicans and three Democrats. Uh, but, but but with this court, whether it's Citizen United or Shelby or Dobbs, this is all partisan. It's all Republican. Yeah, they've got a
0: huge pattern of first five to four decisions with all the Federalist Society judges making up the five. And then with Amy Coney Barrett, they got six. so they became six three decisions. But if you look at the 5-4 and the 6-3 decisions where there's a obviously identifiable big Republican donor interest, they're, they win every single time. They're like 80 to zero.
1: And I'm focusing on the, on the uh, voting rights and the abortion. But a lot of this money that's coming in is, for, is, 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 is business money, people who are trying to strip the EPA of authority and other things. And on that, they've been equally successful.
0: Yeah, they've been really successful. In fact, uh, other than the Dobbs decision throwing out Roe versus Wade, which is hugely consequential because it hits half the population of America in the face by taking away a right they'd enjoyed for 50 years. Other than that, probably the biggest decision that the Supreme Court has made is one that very few people even know they made. It's called Americans for Prosperity Foundation versus Banta. And while they were taking that right away from half the population, they were giving dark money donors a brand new constitutional right to hide their identities. And um, it's stuff like that that is um, strategically designed to help this dark money operation succeed that is particularly dangerous.
1: You know, I don't question the authority of the court. We're a nation of laws, and even if you don't like what they're doing, we are a nation of laws. But I think the combination of what you have written about in this wonderful book, Scheme, and the way this court was illicitly assembled, um, uh, Mitch, Mitch McConnell decided for nine months he wanted to have an eight-person court. He didn't want to have a nine-person court. He just wouldn't even allow a vote on Merrick Garland. And then weeks before the 2020 election, they gave Amy Coney Barrett the bums rush, and she was confirmed, again, on a strictly partisan partisan vote. So, I mean, it is no wonder that this court uh, has, public opinion has soured so much on this court.
0: People aren't stupid. I mean, when they see pictures of a palm tree bent over sideways, they know pretty well that there's a gale blowing, that there's a hurricane happening. You don't have to be there feeling the breeze to understand that the hurricane is blowing the palm trees over. And first, you had the imaginary rule that kept Garland out that you can't do Supreme Court nominations in the year before an election. Then you had the bums rush for Kavanaugh with unsettled accusations of sexual assault still dogging him, not what senators ordinarily like to vote for. And then you had the 180 switcheroo on the uh, year before an election rule when uh, they wanted to, as you say, give... Amy Coney Barrett, the bums rush onto the court. So each one of those had a peculiarity that was very abnormal, and people see that. They know perfectly well that those uh, bent over whipping palm trees are the sign of a huge political gale.
2: James. So, uh, I want to hit the rewind here because I just heard something that I think is worth repeating. Are you saying that an organization that is in place to affect the federal judiciary has a $1.6 billion and we don't even know where the shit it came from? Is that what we're really saying here?
0: We know where it came from. It came from a billionaire named Barry Side who organized a transaction so that when he sold the company, the phony front group that uh, Leonard Leo had set up already owned it. And so he got all the money from the transaction, $1.6 billion. What we don't know is where that money disappears to out into Leonard Leo's network of phony front groups. He probably has... I don't know, 15 or 20. They move around. Um, and what P the shell is under or what shell the P is under, I should say, is um, something that's very hard to keep, keep track of. But yeah, he has one point six billion dollars that he can spend and nobody will know where it came from. Nobody will see it coming. He can hide it through his network of front groups.
2: And is there anything legislatively that you that can be done to do something about this? I think the public knew this. I think that God, I can't that can't be right, James. That's what they say. Come on, man! You, you listen to all that you know liberal shit on TV, but it's yeah. not true.
0: No, no, no. It's this is for real. And if you read, um, Jay Mayer wrote a piece a little while ago where Mitch McConnell's minions and the Koch brothers' minions were having a conversation, and she somehow got a tape or a transcript of it. And there was one issue that they could not figure out how to fix, and they said. Our Tea Partiers hate it just as much as Bernie bros hate it. This is like kryptonite for us. This is a terrible, terrible issue. And the terrible issue was the dark money, the huge hidden spending. And so the public is exactly where you'd expect them to be. They hate this stuff. But when I bring up my Disclose Act that would give transparency for contributions above 10 grand, all the Republicans line up behind Mitch McConnell and block it because Mitch has, become utter, he, Mitch has become as dependent on dark money as a deep-sea diver is on the air hose that goes down to his metal helmet.
2: And so all of this is, a lot of it is a result of Citizens United, isn't
0: it? Yep. It's the result of Citizens United, but it's also the result of the court not following through on what it said in Citizens United. The court said in Citizens United that if, if it's not transparent, it's corrupting. And here's all this non-transparent money, which, by their own terms, is corrupting. And for a decade, they've refused to budge. They like right, it, I it seems. I'm gonna
2: give you my idea, and everybody will sure. have the same reaction. Oh man, you, that that's impossible. All right, the 28th Amendment. Have an organic effort to say Congress shall have. Do You read your lawyer? I went to law school. My lawyer. Congress shall have the power to regulate money. In politics or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Then that 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 would be a seventy nine percent agree issue in in the country, and start organizing organically from this courthouse to state house to the White House or whatever you want to say. Make people go on record. Make candidates go on record. Let me. This is what I want to do. I want to. I want to regulate this, and it is a superb a a superb political. Gain for us. Every time these sons of bitches want you to do something, they want you to raise the gas tax. That ain't no good. They want you to cut, So you know, curb runaway entitlements. Well, that's not good. But the one thing we can agree that's that actually would be the most valuable thing we could do as a, as a nation, and it is wildly popular, and that is regulate money and politics.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And although the constitutional process of amendment is very slow, and as ERA, Right. Uh, supporters know it can be torturously slow over decades right. just the fact that we're having the conversation i agree with you just the fact that we're having the conversation i think will uh, be helpful at helping citizens understand why they're so pissed off
2: you but know, the, the pro-life people went 50 years and you know what they were they were determined and they were patient yep and you're going to win some elections with one person being fought 28th Amendment and one person being against the 28th Amendment. There's votes in that. What I'm, what I'm saying to you, this is not where your hair shirt, you know, elite crap that comes out of Brown, okay? This is this is something that comes up on no, Brown. Brown's <laughs> in Rhode Island. He meant,
0: he meant Tulane. He meant Tulane.
2: He just yes. spoke. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, before I turn <laughs> over to Al, I had an idea, and I put it in a book. And Senator, late Senator Paul Simon wrote me a note and said, is the single best idea he's ever heard in his life. And I'm going to explain it to you. How to clean up politics. Pass a law saying no member of Congress shall be able to accept anything of value from anyone outside their immediate family. So you said, well, James, is a campaign contribution a thing of value? Oh, yes, it is. All right. So how do I run for reelection?" I can't, I can't, I can't, well, this is the deal. It only applies to member Congress. So somebody decides that they're going to run against you. You can't take a nickel. They can take whatever they want On under on one thing. They have to disclose it, where it came from, and the amount within 24 hours. Failure to do that would be a felony. So you'd have some escape, and, you know, bookkeeping. And at that time, the federal government will cut you a check for 95% of that amount. I'm spotting them 5% for fundraising costs. And you can't, you can't go, you can't raise money for the state party. You can, you, 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 and you, by the way, you can't even have, I can't even buy you lunch, pay you 400 grand a year and buy your own, and I call it the buy your own damn lunch bill. All right. But you're just a absolute wall between power and money. And as long as you have power, as long as you're a candidate, you can take all you want, but we'll disclose it. But once you, once you put your hand on the Bible, whoop, that's it. That, that's my idea.
0: Well, in the short term, we've got something that every single Democrat has already voted for, which is to require disclosure for over 10,000 and to extend it not just to political races, but also to the big spenders who come in on behalf of a Supreme Court nominee and put all those ads up uh, to push their uh, nominee onto the court. Um, And I think that would make a, a big step in the right direction. Anytime you turn on the lights, the cockroaches scuttle. And it's really, I think, important that we turn the lights on these huge, huge, huge donations, 15, 20, 30 million dollar donations that get laundered through Donors Trust or laundered through a uh, super PAC. Um, the whole thing is rotten to the core and we got to get rid of it.
2: For as you know, got to ask me, what the hell is the Supreme Court Historical Society? And is this a bunch of ladies, you know, sitting around trying to preserve, you know, documents in the Supreme Court? Or it might be something a little more than that.
0: I think in the old days, that was probably what it was. But I think people have figured out that this gets you face time with Supreme Court justices. And I think in the same way that the far right big money has moved itself into uh, the court through amicus curiae briefs and has moved itself into the court by paying to select who gets onto the court and has uh, moved itself into the court with a lot of fancy Uh, travel and hospitality that isn't disclosed, this is yet another way that they can get access to the judges and and push them in the direction that they want. And I think you're going to find out a good deal more about the Supreme Court Historical Society in the weeks ahead.
1: Good. Albert? Uh, Senator, I've been around for so long. I remember when Mitch McConnell said he was trying to beat McCain-Feingold, and he said, disclosure is the answer. Suddenly, yep. you know, he changed his tune. But yep. um, I, this court exempts itself from the ethics code of other federal judges. It's self-reporting. Clarence Thomas votes on cases where his wife is clearly involved. The arrogance of this court is just astounding, and I guess they do it because they know they can get away with it.
0: Yeah, there's an intense lack of uh, humility Um and I think also a sense that the ordinary rules don't apply to them in their great majesty and wonderfulness. They don't need to follow the rules that other mere mortal judges have to follow. And it's creating actually a bit of a blowback among other federal judges who know what they have to do. They know what the rules are for them. They live within them every day and they see the monkey shines up there at the Supreme Court and they know perfectly well it's not proper. So it's build some annoyance and resentment there. And I've actually had some luck taking issues that the Supreme Court wouldn't address and moving them to the judicial conference where other judges get a chance to have their say. And they take me up on it. They say, yeah, you're, you're right. We should know who is really behind an amicus brief. Yeah, you're right. We should know when somebody who a person has no personal relationship with and they get a free vacation and don't disclose it, that's wrong. So the other judges get it. And that's been a very helpful lever in trying to work these issues forward. Senator,
1: I am going to come to another ethics issue. First, let me let me just ask this. You know what the Republicans say. They say, hey, Democrats do dark money as much as we do, maybe more. So they're being hypocritical and complaining about dark money.
0: Yeah, but we're trying to get rid of it. That's like saying one team goes on the field with baseball bats to uh, and it's not a baseball game. And the other team goes on the field without him. Guess what's going to happen? One team's going to get its head beat in. So we have to play by the baseball bats rule. The difference is we're trying to get rid of the baseball bats and have this going back to be a regular touch football game again. And they want to protect the baseball bats at all costs, despite they know that their own voters hate it. So what does that tell you? Tells you that they're pretty much, you know, in tow. Yeah. Um, The
1: latest story about leaks, the hobby, uh, the hobby case, the New York Times meticulously reported that story, and it yep. certainly suggests that when the right-wing evangelicals had dinner with Justice Alito, that uh, somehow they knew about what the decision was going to be in advance. You've written letters, uh, and you're going to investigate
0: this. Will a court cooperate? So far, they have not cooperated very effectively. As you know, back in September, I started investigating this along with Hank Johnson, who was my fellow chairman on the House Judiciary courts subcommittee. And um, we asked him a whole bunch of questions. And what we got back was a letter from a court functionary that more or less said, We have an ethics code. So I wrote back to say, Look, when the question is whether you're investigating ethics violations or whether somebody's in violation of the ethics code, it's not enough to just write back and say, We have an ethics code. So we're we're drilling down into what they actually do about their ethics code. Is it just a wall decoration or is there a way that a complaint gets listened to, an inquiry gets made, some facts get found, a determination is ultimately made, and then a report is produced that explains to the public what went on. None of those things happens now. And that's just bonkers.
1: You know, uh, we read a lot about Thomas and, Kavanaugh, and of course, the Chief Justice. It strikes me that maybe the driving force in that court is Sam Alito. And he comes across as really a bitter man, a mean man, and duplicitous. During his confirmation, he said that that, uh, Roe v. Wade was an important precedent, and and reportedly went further when meeting with Ted Kennedy. And yet he handed down the decision and said it was egregiously wrong from the start. Uh, And Alito just doesn't care about criticism.
0: Well, he cares a little bit because he snarks back at people yeah. who criticize him, and I've I've enjoyed that experience. Um, but it is a little bit odd, you know. There's the expression about being gracious in defeat. You know, he can't even be gracious in victory. He's really cranky, even while he's racking up these partisan uh, wins for uh, the big donors who put him on the court. So. You'd think he'd be a little bit more cheerful since um, he's got, you know, win after partisan, win after partisan, win.
1: And this session is going to be more of the same. They're likely to roll back voting rights. Um, they're likely to, you know, put an end to affirmative action, maybe even adopt the fringe independent uh, state legislature theory. Um, and, and, you know, we hear that John Roberts worries about the reputation of the court well, Dan, you we must not worry enough to, to, to try to stop some of this stuff, Senator.
0: Yeah, and he has um, not only his role as the chief justice to assign opinions and to try to create majorities and try to work through the process of adjudication, but he also has his administrative side where he could be pushing harder for a more robust ethics investigative enforcement mode. We know that he can do investigations because he announced one about the Alito-Dobbs draft leak. So, okay, now that we know you can do it, go ahead and uh, and do some more. Uh, and by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a little bit spooked right now by all this misbehavior. And they might want to go all the way to that Moore v. Harper independent state legislature doctrine. That may be a place where at least uh, Kavanaugh and Roberts say, okay, that's a that's a bridge too far. That's a little crazy. And maybe Amy Coney Barrett uh, as well, because it is a bridge too far, and it is a little crazy.
1: Yeah, as Michael Ludig, a very conservative judge, says, it's just totally crazy. James?
2: So, Albert knows this. I've said it in India a number of times, and I'll I'll repeat it to you. The the beginning of all of this was Bush v. Gore. And the left of center, the, the good government, Everybody said, the court has spoke, spoken, that's it. We got a rally behind. We got a president. That's the rule of law. Could you imagine if if a Democratic court would have just stopped a vote count? And by the way, Gore was going to win it. And, and, and they've been proven time and time and time again when you count all ballots, the ballots he would to won. And I think that told, that told them, they're not going to do shit. They're just going to go there and, you know, write a bunch of op-ed pieces and, you know, write something in a scholarly in a law review. And move on, and that's exactly what happened. That's precisely yeah. what happened. We just took it, and yeah. that that told them, do what the hell you want. And you know, even the reaction to Dobbs, it, 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 it's it's been mostly coastal. Yeah, I mean, it, it hadn't been. It is obviously unpopular. It obviously helped in some elections. Unclear how many. All right, but. If we want the country that we want, we have to get tougher and point this stuff out and play harder. That's what I think. That, and that's my pitch, too.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think um, we are up against an organized uh, adversary, and this is not the Republican Party. This is the dark money operation behind the Republican Party. And they're not only well organized, they're essentially infinitely funded. And they've been around for a while, so they've learned to play the long game. They don't need to grab immediate victories. They can build towards the big victory that they want. And they're willing to plan and scheme and plot and work through complex stuff to an ultimate victory. Whereas we kind of run around like a herd of cats. And then when we get kicked in the face, we have a moment of episodic emoting about how sad we are and how evil it was. And then we go back to being a cat herd again. And I think it's really important that we tell the story of why this is happening. The discontent in the American public about the way their government is treating them is real. And there actually is a factual explanation for why it is happening. And we, who are also on the losing end of uh, that group, ought to be providing that factual explanation at a minimum. And we've fallen down on that job.
2: Well, in, in this interview, I've, I've always really liked and admired you. You have now brought it to the place of my favorite United States senator, because you're not buying this. Oh, it's the rule of law, and you got to respect the rule of law. You know, I respect that the same way. If I'm in Venezuela and a cop stops me, well, I'm comply because I because I don't want to go to jail. But do I do I suspect that that the Venezuelan cop was on the take? Yeah, I do. Yeah.
0: The interesting thing is going to be how many other federal judges begin to speak up as they see this court increasingly creating a mess for itself and for the whole judiciary. And because they're federal judges, because they know how the rules should work, because they're under a proper ethics code themselves, because they know uh, how these things get investigated, the difference between what they know and what they see the Supreme Court up to, I think, is going to be increasingly... um, intolerable for some of these judges. And I hope that they'll start to speak out about more. Look at Kavanaugh, right? He is the subject of multiple ethics investigations while he's sitting on the District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals. And the instant he moves to the Supreme Court, all of those investigations stop, not because they're concluded, not because he's cleared, but because he jumped to the Supreme Court and now he's operating in this, living in this new ethics-free zone. You couldn't have a more crystal clear example of the difference between how the rest of the federal judiciary treats itself and how the Supreme Court treats itself.
2: Well, this, this interview has been brilliant and I'm so glad that we got you as a point person here. I hope people just really understand the, the gravity of the situation we face. I got to, uh, people will read about it, but I, I want to mention a, a good friend of mine, somebody just technically just died, and that was former Kentucky governor, John Young Brown, who had a a, a long, rich life. A lot of our listeners probably don't know who John Y. Brown is. He also was the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I just, uh, my soul.
1: Governor, says, of, uh, governor of Kentucky. Um, senator senator Whitehouse, you've been a terrific guest. Everybody out there, I want you to Go and Get Scheme, How the Right-Wing Used Dark Money to Capture the Supreme Court by Sheldon White, Biggest
2: issue in American politics.
1: Right. And and go get it this week and give it to other friends
0: for the holidays, okay?
1: Senator, thank you
0: so much. Al, thank you so much for having me on. James, it is always a pleasure to be with you. And um, thanks for keeping up the fight. This is something we can turn our way. We don't have to be losers all the time.
2: Tell Humphreyville hello from me. I, I, may, I might see him. He comes out. Yeah. I gladly will. All right. Take Take care.
3: care.
0: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need
1: Hey, James, no journalist has covered the sordid story of money and politics with as much distinction as Jane Mayer. Her, her book, Dark Money, and six years ago was seminal. Bill Bradley told me it was one of the most important books ever written on politics. I can't believe, Jane, that we worked together more than 30 years ago. You must have been a young teenager uh, back back then. But uh, – You've, you've just gone on to such great achievements. And this dark money just gets worse. Over a billion dollars in secret money in 2020. Democrats are matching, if not exceeding. Republicans, as Sheldon Whitehouse said, they want to disclose. That's, that's the big difference. But it just, it seems that the corruption is endless.
4: Well, Albert, first of all, I have to say, um, I remember on my 30th birthday, you gave me some hair dye to cover the gray. So we have been together for a very long time. <laughs> and uh, and I learned um, at your knee. Um, I remember your mantra, which was, if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. Um, don't believe anything. And basically, following the money has um, made me a cynic uh, because um, behind every... Every great politician, there just seems to be a pile of money, some of it Excited. with lots of strings attached. So, um, but I learned it the old-fashioned way from Albert Hunt.
1: Well, boy, I tell you, you've, you've, you've gone to extraordinary heights. You know, um, we mentioned this before. When Mitch McConnell was fighting McCain-Feingold, he said, hey, it's a simple answer, disclosure. And in Citizens United, the, uh, the Republican um, majority said, hey, disclosure uh, is the answer. Uh, but what rationale do these people now offer for opposing
4: disclosure? Well, they're now deciding that there's a new constitutional right, which is to keep all your um, the money that you're giving to people for payoffs or for bribes um, private. Secret spending is now a constitutional right. They've argued in a case called Bonta in front of the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court sided with them. Um, so, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's on its way towards really becoming a right. It hasn't quite gotten there yet, but, um, you're absolutely right. In Citizens United, um, one of the, 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 the there were eight justices in favor of disclosure. Only one was against it. Guess which one? Clarence Thomas, of course. Yeah, yeah. And in a parallel case, uh, Justice Scalia came out and said, that he didn't think that secret spending was something that should exist in the land of the brave. It didn't sound like the land of the brave to him. He thought if you want to participate in politics, you ought to have the guts to stand up and say you're playing a part. So there, there is a bipartisan, you know, history of support for disclosure. But of course, it's not what the people with the big money want.
1: Let's go back to the I guess what might be the beginning of this in your, in your great book. You capture. I guess the architects of this nefarious system, the Koch brothers, they basically hijacked American democracy. Tell us about them.
4: Well, yeah, and and the thing is, stealth was their signature. I mean, it was even their, their family saying was, it's when the whale surfaces, he gets harpooned. So stay under the water. And for many decades, they really were almost underwater. People didn't know who they were. They were, they are, the, the Koch brothers, Charles and David, Um, We're among the richest people in the world. Um, They have an oil, gas, chemical, fertilizer, and much else conglomerate that's global. Coke Industries, it's gigantic and privately owned, and it just mints money. They make about $150 billion a year from it and um david has now died but for decades they were working to capture politics and pull it over in their direction and what was their direction they come straight out of the john birch society that's their father was one of the founding members and they were brought up in it and they were both members of it themselves for a while they're f- so far right that uh william f buckley you know famous conservative respected <laughs> on the right um called them uh Anarcho-totalitarians, they were so far right, they were almost anarchists. They hated government. They want to get rid of government. They want to get rid of taxes. They want to be able to have um, an industry that can pollute, pollute, both, um, you know, pollute water, pollute the, the air, um, pollute the climate, and not be bothered as they sort of make money. And so um, so they've been pushing. They were true believers. They're fascinating people. I mean, they were really smart in many, many ways. Both of them were trained as engineers um, by MIT. They had graduate degrees. And they really looked at American politics as kind of a a challenge to figure out how, how could you sort of tinker with all the widgets in order to take it over. And they did many studies of how to do that. And they built up a machine. And they set about sort of starting in the late Uh, really, the early 1970s, they started to try to take over American politics, and they were remarkably successful at it.
2: Yeah, they sure were. James Carville. So, this is where I say the real imbalance comes in. If there is more money in polluting than there is in stopping pollution, all right? And, and, I mean, if you just think about it from just an organic ground up, uh, they don't—if if, if I want to have pollution controls, all right, there's some people in solar and some people in wind, and, it, you know, you can get some money from them. But, wow, the amount of money you can by just letting you dump what you want to dump wherever you want to dump it, That that is real money there. And I think that you start with that imbalance. But you've been covering this for a long time, <laughs> And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Am I right? Is just, We're just in a downward spiral. And it looks like it's going pretty fast.
4: It's, it's amazing how, I mean, I think that because the numbers are so big, a lot of people don't really, you know, they can't really grasp it. I mean, I can't really grasp it. But basically what I can see is it's growing exponentially from one election cycle to the next. And so you know, I mean, and and you know, just just looking at the Cokes, I mean, they they spent, I think it was um, 400 million with their group of donors in in 2012. And then by 2016, they were planning to spend 889 million. This is a very small club of some of the richest people in the country. And then, meanwhile, if you look at the sort of the overall spending numbers, they've exploded. They're just they're just absurd, and and it really took off after the citizens united decision by the supreme court in 2010 that was that was kind of the ultimate green light so the
2: the citizens united and we just had senator white house on the supreme court is a great beneficiary of all all of this dog money spending i mean a huge a huge thing i mean they,
4: they cut them basically citizens united let the supreme court have part of the cut (laughs) <laughs> well, it helped get them confirmed for sure. I mean, there were these dark money groups that are funded with um, you know big donors, including the Cokes. um, like the they were you know the judicial judicial crisis center was one that became the judicial confirmation center and they 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 then put on ads that sort of helped get the justices they wanted confirmed to the court. They also poured money these you know this dark money poured into leonard leo's operation the the federalist society um and 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 helped who and he as we know helped pick these judges um it gave a list to uh president former president trump so it's 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 this very ingrown self serving sort of um little system. That involves the Supreme Court, I, I you know, and it, it's, um, I think it's very much undercutting people's uh, faith in the courts. So, 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 uh, Jane, before I turn, around, I'll make one point.
2: You pointed out, I read, read your piece right away. I always read, go to the New York site, and look for what you did on this Proposition Two Twenty One in Arizona, and we have in the, the Mr. Former Attorney General Goddard on to talk about that, but this is a case where citizens did something actually did, took took matters in their own hands, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean, and there's it was a really a great little bit of welcome good news in the dark money world, right. which right. is one one sort of David and Goliath story where the the David in this case was a, a guy named Terry Goddard out in Arizona. And he's tried four times to try different referendums that would get rid of dark money or or require disclosure in the state of Arizona. And he was defeated the three other times. But what was so interesting was the the referendum passed overwhelmingly, like with 75% support, and it was bipartisan. So the Republicans supported too. And this is actually what almost every study shows, which is dark money is an issue that that brings Democrats and Republicans together against it. There are very few Americans who love the idea of a handful of billionaires controlling their democracy, and they've had. But but because the billionaires have so much power, the the public's had a very hard time pushing it back. But they they did they've won in Arizona. I hope that President
2: Biden gives Terry Goddard the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I hope they put a <laughs> statue of him when they're taking somebody to you know, brax and brag at these buffoon, buffoon Confederate generals. I, I, think this, I think this country needs a hero when it comes to dog money, and I'm, I'm anointing Terry Goddard as the hero. And, well,
4: James,
1: I'm glad you said that because he's our next guest. I, uh, I, and, I didn't uh, know that. <laughs> I Michelle mean, the White House, Jane Mayer, and Terry Goddard and Dark yeah, better than that. Jane, let me ask you this. You started with the coasts. who are the big players now?
4: Well, um, one of the biggest ones is a man named um, Uline, who um, has a company that makes all the different kinds of packing materials and boxes that people have when they ship stuff. He's pouring money into right-wing politics. Um, There's uh, the Mercer family, Robert Mercer, sort of a hedge fund person. Um, On the Democratic side, it's George Soros. He's been there for a very long time. He's gotten very, very old um you know they're 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 about i think fifteen percent of the federal spending in the last midterm election was contributions from billionaires i mean that's just an extraordinary think about it there're fewer than eight hundred billionaires in the country and they uh, account for fifteen percent of the all of the spending in federal and uh, federal races i mean it's you know the totally totally overwhelming small donors. Jane,
1: I can, I can just imagine some of our listeners are saying, uh, okay, if it's secret money, how do we know, how do the politicians know who their sugar daddies are?
4: Well, I have to ask James about this because he's an insider in politics, but my, my hunch is, while the public doesn't know, every single candidate who is the beneficiary of gazillions of dollars has a pretty good idea who wrote the check. Yeah. You're a
2: smart girl, Jane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh,
4: somebody's you're in a race and somebody's
2: dumping on, you know, $50 million of ads. You, you're going to know. Somebody's going to tell you. You're going to be in a bar and say, look, I just want to let you know. Such and such is, okay, Omerta. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know.
4: Yeah, I'm taking a look at the Supreme Court um and i am looking at the other courts and trying to figure out how it is that extremists on the right um succeeded so well in um capturing them
1: great great we can't wait we'll have you on as soon as it, as soon as it comes out james carville
2: I, I i just you know of course jane knows that i'm just a huge admirer of hers and i think jane you are doing the most important work in all of journalism and i mean that i'm just say that because you're a friend of mine and I, and I think unlike other things that they come up with, this is politically so advantageous. as proven in Arizona. You got 75 percent. Maybe it's 74. All right. This is something that, that is is—it's rarely can you do something that's really the right thing to do and a really popular thing to do. All right. And and that's where this is. And I, I don't think this is ne- – It's of course, it's it's real good government – but to a guy like me, it's real good politics, and we have to understand this. This is not a hair shirt issue. This is something the public wants, and this is something that you, more than much more than any other journalist, have brought this issue to light. So the nation is in debt to you. That's what I really well, think about th- of my. Thank
4: heart. you. As you know, it's impossible to cover politics without being able to call up James Carville and find <laughs> out what's really going on. <laughs>
2: well, all
1: right, right you we- know, and James, I would say if. You know, we're going to give the Medal of Freedom to uh, Terry Goddard. You know, we may want to consider Jane Mayer too. Jane, I absolutely agree with uh, with uh, James. The contributions you are making are just incredible, and I can't wait for your book to come out. And thank you so much for being with us today. And have a happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely.
4: Thanks, guys. It was my thrill.
1: Hey, James, our next guest is Terry Goddard, a former Arizona attorney general who spearheaded the effort to curb dark money in that state. It passed with over 70 percent of the vote backed by independents, Republicans and Democrats. Remarkable. But it took an, an incredible amount of energy on 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 his part. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how much we admire, you know, what you did, uh, General Goddard. Boy, you had a lot of big money opposition, though, didn't you? And the Wall Street Journal editorial page declared this was going to be chilling for speech. Uh, So they they, they were really bothered by this, weren't they?
3: Uh, They were. They they said they were. Uh, They came in at the last moment. uh, So that gave us a lot of concern. But the voters of Arizona just overwhelmingly said, we want to have transparency. We want to know, who is paying for those ads that we get get barraged with right around election time?
1: As I understand, this only affects political money. You know, you can still be anonymous in advocacy issues. Yes, uh, is that right?
3: That's correct. This, this, this. We tried to tailor it very precisely to to you political You also ads. got
1: some re- top top Republicans like former Governor Five Symington. I think you all ran against each other once. Are some politicians, even Republicans, just sick of this system?
3: I think they are. I, I, uh, and Fife Symington really stepped up. Uh, he said running against dark money is like being a prize fighter in the ring, but you can't see your opponent. You have no idea when he's going to hit you or how or why. James
2: Carville. So, General I'm a political guy. That's kind of what I've been all my life. And every time somebody would come to me with some good government proposal, I'd try to jump out the goddamn window <laughs> because they want you to raise the gas tax. they Curb these runaway entitlements. You got to do this, all right? And and this is not only, I mean, really good government. I mean, as much as you can, it is stunningly good politics, right? And, and that's just something that political people at least political people like me you know people always want you to do the hard thing do the difficult thing, stand up if not us who if not now when here we stand on the press but here is actually what you get 73 huh? percent and you carried every county every county am i right bipartisan as it could be yes i i mean i what are we going to do to leverage this into a, a, a more nationwide thing how we're, how can we take this show on the road
3: well, I think if Arizona, the worst state in the country for the dark money um, use uh, in our ads, can can have this kind of transparency, I hope that carries a message throughout the country. I think that's something other states could be able to take advantage of, and I hope they will.
2: Is there any kind of organization that – is it just you and some people in Arizona? <laughs> or is there somebody that you can partner with where we can do proposed ballot initiatives? Cause this shit is popular, man. This is this is
3: good stuff. Yeah, and it's organic. It's ground up. now our only problem was getting it on the ballot, and then, as you know, that took a long time. That took four different right. efforts. Uh, but once we got it on the ballot, the voters said overwhelmingly, "This is something we want to see." And it's uh, we don't have this is this is purely Arizona driven. The, the funding was from Arizona. The, the writing was from Arizona. The volunteers, obviously. Were but I think the way it was written, it could work anywhere. So I commend Senator Whitehouse for what he's doing.
2: Yeah, I, I think we need to get a, a nationwide movement. Every state has different laws about ballot access. I think this is would be so helpful to candidates. You know, I, I want to put this on a ballot. I want to have the public speak up on this. Let the other let the other guy not go along, and he's going to look pretty bad. Or I should say the other person because it might not be a guy. Sorry, uh, but but. I hope that y'all give some thought to, to leveraging this into a nationwide movement, To that Arizona be, you know, you always come up at the top of the list of states, I guess Alaska and Alabama ahead of you, but, but whatever, you know, Arizona leads. That's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for giving the people of Arizona credit. But I, I think this thing is too good an idea to, st- to stay in Arizona. That's my that's my general political.
3: Well, I really do. And I hope the message that we're able to send out is that if Arizona divided the way we are, you know, absolutely 50 50. uh, The new attorney general was elected. uh, We just found out two days ago by overwhelming five hundred and ten votes. So we couldn't be more divided politically. But in spite of that, our voters said we want to see transparency. We want to see basic fairness. We want to see accountability. In political ads, so that you don't have these dark money forces just throwing uh, ridiculous, uh, untrue accusations, attack ads uh, at you come election day, uh, and I think that's what people are sick of, and they want to do it right. So if we can pass it, I think anybody can pass it. So I'm, I'm with you. I want to, I want to see this go to other states, and I, I hope we can do exactly yeah. that. If you can win by seventy five percent of the vote, that's something I would think that. People would be on board with uh, leaders would be on board. Trust with. me. That's a good 75 is a nice round number. In <laughs> well, in, demo, in, in a
2: democracy, if you, see something it's, you got 75, take it, take it right away. Democracy. I think that's
3: <laughs> unanimous.
1: Terry, have you heard from any other uh, big money opponents from other states to try to emulate what you did?
3: opponents uh of, of of transparency
1: yeah i mean reformers
3: oh the, reformers the, you know, oh the good yeah people. sure
2: good, guys, the good there, guys
3: there are there's there's a national group called voters right to know that has worked hard in north dakota they've helped in alaska uh, they, they're trying to spread this word and they're, they're they've been very helpful to us uh, they originally started in arizona so we we consider them homegrown um and and uh represent us has been very much on this this track nationally uh I'm sure uh, originally I thought Common Cause was, I mean, I think there are people uh, that, that want to rally behind transparency. And our our national help was from the Campaign Legal Center, uh, a great group, bipartisan, that uh, helped us draft the original document. So they've got a pamphlet that they could take anywhere. Uh, look,
1: I am so, James and I are so admiring of what you've done, uh, but having covered, written about money and politics for a long time, A lot of times these fat cats, big money types find loopholes. Is this referendum airtight?
3: (laughs) Well, I'm a lawyer, so I know that you can pick away at almost anything. Uh, But we tried very hard. This is our fourth time. And every time we made it, I think, more bulletproof uh, with the help of the uh, former FEC lawyers at Campaign Legal Center. Uh, So we'll get sued, I'm sure. I mean, there's too much money involved here not to come after us in court. But we've got a very narrowly focused uh, program uh, that we do. It's not, it's not broad range. It doesn't take all people who contribute to charities. It's just the money that goes for political ads, that's all. And I think that's where the heart of the matter is, so we went after it. But it's, uh, it's something that we're, we're, hack- we're battening down the hatches. We're getting ready for a lawsuit. But I believe we've done as good a job as we could to make sure this is something that stands up to constitutional scrutiny. And I I don't usually quote Justice Scalia, but in this case, I do, because he was a fervent believer in transparency and standing up for what you believe. And he said in in a case in 2010, the same year as Citizens United, he said uh, he didn't want to be part of a Supreme Court that because of their action allowed people to campaign anonymously. That does not resemble the home of the brave. That's the statement from the most conservative court, and I believe one that still carries a great deal of weight. Yeah. Let me, let me just
1: turn to one other subject. You're also the former mayor of Phoenix. And in a sense of deja vu, <laughs> Republicans are tr- crying fraud with malfunctioning voting machines in Maricopa. <laughs> uh, Republican attorney general uh, is even you know, filing a suit. Is this just the same old stuff or is it more serious this time?
3: Well, it's more serious in that the RNC is involved. There, There's some very heavy guns that are coming in to try to attack the Maricopa County voting system. But but let me just, as an embattled Democrat over the past multiple decades, let me say that we've got one of the best voting systems in the country. Uh, we were one of the first to go to widespread vote by mail. We were one of the first to have motor voter. And guess who inoculated, who, who put that program in place? It was our Republican legislature and Republican governors. So the irony about what's going on today is you've got the Republican Party attacking the house that they themselves built. And I give the devil their due. They did a good job. It's, a, it's one of the best systems, I believe, in the country. We ought to be proud of it and not be trying to tear it down because it didn't come out exactly the way we wanted to in this election.
2: Yeah, but that's not the way they are these days. You're <laughs> that's not the way right. it works. But I understand. James James Carville? Well, I, um, you know, I, I just, it's just such, such an honor to have you on the show, and I, I don't leave this. Let, let's have everybody pledge, all of us on here, all of our listeners, and everybody. This is too good an idea to keep in Arizona. All right, it, it really is. Let, let's, let's take this show, you know, nationwide, uh, because this, in, in my motives are, are are very good and pure. It is just damn good politics, and that's that's what that's where I come from my side Val. I, I think this is terrific. I think what you've done out there is terrific uh, hats off, but let, let's keep this ball rolling that's my that's my view
3: well, I sure thank you, and we are very willing to share uh We want to make sure right. that this idea, yeah. which I think will help approve uh the tenor of our politics uh it'll take the DAC money out of the attack ad business. I think it can only help and and i the voters are are so overwhelmingly in favor. I, I could go into the details, but I won't. Uh, we had a ballot proposition that was hard to understand, and yet 72% still said yes, we want it.
2: Yeah. That's a good number. Great
3: number. Trust great me.
2: number. Trust me, you yes. guys. Great number. Great, great. I think and I think President Biden should give you the presidential medal of freedom. <laughs> We've got to do everything we can well, to I don't I don't need any award,
3: system. but I sure would be privileged if we could get other states to pick up the ball. Uh, right, because they go. can only win by doing that.
1: There was no more important vote than the one on your dark money referendum in Arizona. Congratulations, Terry Goddard. Uh, Keep up the good fight because you know they're coming after you.
3: (laughs) We do, and we're ready. And I just want to do what you've just, James just said was was music to my ears, because if we can get other people to take this template and take it into their state, uh, that would be the best compliment we could possibly get.
1: Well, you did a wonderful job. Thank you so much. And thank you for being on this program. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carvel and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Real Paper, ExpressVPN, and Miracle Brand in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.